0: You can join the fight to defend employee-funded and association PACs by texting NABPAC to 52886. Message and data rates may apply.
1: Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast. This show is brought to you by NABPAC, the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. And I'm your host, Michaela Isler, NABPAC's Executive Director. The attacks on employee funded and trade association PACs are louder now than at any time in recent history. Some of the rhetoric out there is willful mischaracterization of the facts, and some of it is just political opportunism. Having said that, our industry has always been misunderstood. So today we're glad to have a scholar who studies these issues with us on the podcast. We're going to have the opportunity to hear what the data is telling political scientists about systematic evidence on the impact of money in politics through the study of PAC contributions in over 18,000 elections for governor, Congress, and state legislatures across three decades. Research that is only possible because of the transparency and accountability that govern association and employee funded PACs.
0: Coming up in just a minute, our conversation with Anthony Fowler, PhD, a professor in the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Michaela, Professor Fowler earned his doctorate at Harvard University and has gone on to publish important studies in the American Journal of Political Science and the Journal of Politics, among others, on the effects of campaign contributions on elections and legislative outcomes.
1: Adam, I think our audience will be quite interested in the research and findings that Professor Fowler has to share. So let's get to it, Adam.
0: The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAP activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community.
1: Thanks so much, Adam, and now to our discussion with Professor Anthony Fowler from the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Welcome to the podcast, Professor Fowler. Thank you so much, it's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you join us today, and let's just start by giving everyone listening an appreciation for what makes the research you and your colleagues do possible, namely transparency and data. Your insights and analysis of business packs take into account publicly available data that spans decades, correct?
2: That's right, we, uh, we take advantage of lots of publicly available data. We look at election results, we look at legislative roll call votes, we look at interest group ratings, and importantly, we look at, um, at campaign contributions, PAC contributions, which are publicly available, which is, which is a great thing for researchers.
0: And that is not always the case. You're able to do a lot of work right here because of that availability. Share with folks how deep that goes. I know Michaela said decades, but you really do have a long running track record of information to look at.
2: We do. We take advantage, you know, the, of course, the FEC makes a lot of, you know, a lot of data available for us that's very useful. Um, and lots of people have taken that FEC, FEC data and compiled it in useful ways. So we utilize a lot of the data from of the money. And we, you know, people like Adam Bonica at Stanford, who have put together very useful data sets on campaign contributions, we utilize a lot of those data sets as well. Um, and we can look. You know, contributions going back many dec, you know, several decades at least. We can look at contributions across a wide range of industries, a wide range of electoral settings, not just federal elections, but in some cases we can look at lots of state elections and so forth. So all of that's great to have as a researcher, and I think it's it's probably also a good thing for transparency in government. But it's very good, you know, selfishly for me as a researcher because I can I can analyze that data in and I hope interesting ways.
0: One of the central questions you've looked at in your work is whether corporations and their employee-funded PACs derive significant benefit over policy through supporting candidates and politicians holding office. So the question is, do they?
2: Yeah, so I've looked at that in a few different ways. And, and the answer appears to be not very much. So um, in one study co-authored with Haritz Garrow and Jorg Spenku, published in the Journal of Politics, we look at lots of PAC contributions in lots of different electoral settings over several decades. And one of the questions we ask is, do firms stock prices, are they affected? Do they increase when a firm contributes to somebody who barely wins versus barely loses an election? So if you think that policymakers are engaging in some kind of quid pro quo with campaign contributors and they say, oh, you helped me get elected, I'm gonna make sure I do you lots of favors once I'm an elected official, then we should see that reflected somewhere. And the stock price is a good way to see that because that's a sum total of what the market believes the firm is worth. And so that's the reason we're doing that. We pull together lots and lots of data. And the short answer is, we actually don't find much evidence that firms benefit from their campaign contributions. When their connected candidates barely win versus barely lose, there's no clear effect on their stock price.
1: Professor Fowler, this is fascinating. And as Adam and I have worked on this podcast, we've been able to find more researchers like yourself and others in this space. And we'd love to hear more about your recent studies on this subject because this is not something that is talked about at all in the media. Curious what your studies say and your thoughts on why we don't hear about this more. You know, some
2: of it is that it's it's very it's it's much more interesting and sensational to write a story about, you know, how corporate money is ruining politics. And I think there are good reasons to worry. I think there, you know, I think everyone is worried about the health of democracy and how equal our democracy is. They're worried that, you know, campaign contributions largely come from the very rich. And when they see that corporations are engaged in the political process, they worry that the regular voter out there who can't afford to make large campaign contributions is being differentially represented. And so I think those are good things to worry about and I think those are very important things to think about in many aspects of our democracy and our our elections and so that's why we conduct these studies to just see you know how big of a problem is this there are lots of kind of one-off anecdotes of oh you know so-and-so might have done something nefarious because they got contributions from this group, but let's actually look at all the data, aggregate it together, and see how big of a problem is this. And at least in you know, the study I just described, it looks like on average the problem is relatively small. Um, that's not to say there are no problems at all, but, but, but on average it doesn't look like corporations are clearly benefiting from their contributions. Another study that I've conducted on this topic with uh, Alex Fournay's, recently published in Political Science Research and Methods, focuses on the insurance industry. And one reason why we focus on the insurance industry is because I, had, I conducted the previous study and found that on average we're getting these small effects. Let's focus on one industry and in one setting where we think the effects might be especially large. And the insurance industry turns out to be the biggest player in state elections. Um, they give a lot of money to gubernatorial candidates, a lot of money to state legislators. And in, in, in states where they have elected insurance commissioners, they're obviously giving a lot of money there as well. And so that's why we focus on that industry. They, they appear to be very strategic in the way they give. And even there, um, you know, one of the things we do is we look at when states change their campaign finance regulations, how does that affect the performance of the insurance industry in those states? And it looks like there's not much effect there either. So even in a place where you might expect to see especially distortionary effects, we still don't find much clear evidence of this. So, you know, you, you asked in your question, why is this going on? Or what, you know, I think one, you know, one potential thing we could talk about is that although although I think it's it sort of makes it's worrying as an outsider, if you're not paying really close attention and you read that, oh, you know, these, these companies are giving lots of money. We're not talking about a lot of money. We're not talking about huge amounts of money. Very often, these corporate PAC contributions are on the order of $1,000 um, and it's kind of you know, and and members of Congress or governors need to raise millions of dollars to run their campaigns, and so it's maybe not surprising that elected officials are not distorting policy just because of a thousand dollar contribution, but it's it's good to confirm that and it's good to try to measure that as, as best as we can.
0: As you've been working on this, Professor, you appreciate that public perception and even the account of some journalists is dissonant from your findings and those in the political science space. Why does that continue to be? Do people reach out to get your guidance and unpack some of your work? I
2: think that's a problem not just in this space, that's a problem in any scientific discipline and any public Discourse where certain certain findings are just more sensational and more interesting. Certain claims are more sensational, and more interesting. So you know, in another area that I work, there's a big debate about the general health of democracy and are voters dumb? Are they irrational? Are they incompetent? And and most of the evidence seems to suggest that voters are. Behaving fairly reasonably, they care about policy. They're doing a reasonably good job of of holding politicians accountable based on their performance and so on. And yet, those are not the splashy, sensational findings. The sensational findings are the ones that say, "Oh, did you hear that? Voters are so fickle and dumb that they're influenced by college football games." Um, and that that turns out to not be a very reliable result. Um, but that's just you know that's just an example. I don't think this is a problem specific to um, to discussions of corporate campaign contributions. It's just that you know the kind of splashy, sensational, troubling finding is the thing that is going to get lots of attention and get lots of headlines, um, even if it turns out to not be consistent with the evidence.
1: Well, I know for one, I mean, we certainly know that this is very sensationalized within the media to drive ratings or readership or click-throughs. But it's nice to know that there's political scientists looking at this across the country and it's not just one or two and and as I mentioned earlier we've heard from other political scientists including Professor Mike Barber at BYU that the research and data demonstrate that business PACs have a moderating influence on politics whereas individual political donors are decidedly ideological is that correct from your perspective and can you help us understand that a little better
2: I think that is right. And I think there is some, some very good research to support that. Um, I think there's, there's this notion that there's the, you know, the little people and then the big corporations and, and the, the, you know, and, and, and that's, those are good things to think about when we think about the health of our democracy. But when we think about individual donors, um, it's not the case that individual donors are just regular Americans who, who want good, moderate, sensible policy. Um, most, most Americans don't donate, and the, the few that do donate tend to be ideological extremists. They tend to be people who they give consistently to one party, and they, they're more likely to give to the extremists within that party on both sides, whereas corporate contributors are often more of a moderating force in the sense that they're willing to give to both sides depending on which politicians are um sensible or which politicians might be you know they might view to be favorable for their industry they give you know corporate contributors give a lot to incumbents they give a lot to um to legislators who sit on important committees that regulate them and so on and so they they might turn out to be somewhat of a moderating force relative to individual contributors, not to say that either one is especially moderate. Um, It might be the case that the average American would prefer that neither of them uh, be, you know, giving lots of money in politics. But relative to individual contributors, corporate contributors do appear to be more moderate
0: one of the things that sometimes gets people tripped up is the broad-based term of corporate contributions of course you know in the case of employee funding and business trade association packs these are all made up of individual employees they're voluntary contributions and in our political system we want people in organizations of all types to be able to advocate for their position, but not all entities in the campaign finance system are alike. And we see a lot here, Professor, on this show that employee funded and association PACs are the most transparent and regulated form of political giving. How do you see that as an academic?
2: Well, I think there's something to that. You're right that, you know, the traditional corporate PACs are very heavily regulated and the contributions are all very transparent. if that's you could say you could say similar things about individual contributions individual contributions are transparent um, and they're and they're heavily regulated in most cases. Certainly if you compared them to dark money, if you compared them to these organizations that are some not explicitly political but nevertheless engaging in lots of political activities, I think you could say that you know corporate PAC activity is more transparent and more regulated and maybe you know and maybe, more a part of a healthy democracy than some of the dark money that we're talking about. So I think there's, I think there's a good argument there. I don't have any really clear evidence, to, you know, academic evidence that I can present to you on that question. Partly because the dark money organizations are hard to study. We don't actually know who the contributors are. We don't know what they're, you know, what they're, uh, what they're trying to accomplish in some cases. Um, it's hard to match them up to particular outcomes of interest, and so on. And so, it's hard to say, you know, what are the effects of of dark money and so forth. Uh, but I think you're I think you're probably right. Um, nevertheless, I think while corporate contributions are transparent and while corporate contributions are heavily regulated, I can still understand the argument that you know that, that a regular American might not want. Lot too many special interests involved in politics. Either way, they might want the median voter to have more, you know, more say in things. Um, but but I think the fact that you know the fact that we're talking about transparent regulated contributions and the fact that the voters have that information. The journalists have that information. I think I think that's probably a good thing when you're thinking about, are the voters able to make, make the best decisions in elections?
1: Yeah. Professor Fowler, I was reading one of your recent studies, and I noted a passage that said this, concerns about the disproportionate influence of corporate interests in the political process are widespread in public and academic discourse specifically that policymaking is dominated by powerful business organizations and a small number of affluent Americans. But despite widespread concerns, there's little compelling evidence that corporate interests do have a disproportionate influence. So, you know, we're not scientists here and maybe the math might go right over my head. I can't speak for everybody, but can you help our audience understand how you're able to come to this conclusion? Sure, yeah, it's
2: I mean we're doing it, we're doing this in a few different ways, but you know one of the ways is looking at close elections, looking at the firms that contributed to the bear winners versus the bear losers, and asking, do the firms that contributed to the bear winners do they seem to benefit from those extra political connections that they they may have potentially bought through their campaign contributions? So that's one way we can try to try to quantify this and, and like I said, there's no clear evidence of, you know of, of, of a of firms you know stock prices increasing because they're connected to more more elected officials. Um, the other ways we can look at this are by studying various campaign finance regulations at the state level and that, I mean that's a very you know again a very useful thing for researchers because there's so much variation at the state level we can study those changes and we can ask what seems to happen in those places do, is, does, is policy meaningfully affected um, do the firms that previously gave a lot of money are they all of a sudden doing worse because they no longer have as much ability to influence elections and again when we do tests like that we don't find any clear evidence that that firms are benefiting from either their giving or even from the ability to give which is which is interesting and, and, and I think surprising to a lot of people given the claims that you hear
0: so one of the things that you also looked at professor that I think people might be interested to know a little bit about is whether there is some demonstrable connection between giving in this way and like something like roll call votes is that something you can share a little bit more about with folks Sure, yeah, that's something that people have studied pretty, you know, in in a lot
2: of different ways, but it's a very hard question to study. So a typical, you know, a a canonical study would be, let's look at a bunch of legislators and we'll compare the roll call votes of the people who received money from some organization and and who didn't receive money from some organization. Of course, that's not a very compelling comparison because you're not comparing apples to apples. Very often these, you know, corporate PACs or, or interest groups of different forms, they're specifically targeting legislators that they believe already agree with them. And so, of course, you're going to find a correlation there, um, but it's not going to tell you much about the effect of the contributions versus just the selection into the contribution. So one of the things people have done to, to, to make better progress on that question is to try to look at individual legislators before and after they receive contributions. So maybe there was a legislator who wasn't receiving any contributions from a group. They start getting contributions. Do they change their roll call voting behavior you know, before and after that change? And there, you it actually looks like you get a lot of null results. It looks like um, it's not so clear anymore that these contributions are changing how people are voting. Instead, it looks like these organizations are typically targeting people who already agree with those organizations. It, I'm working on a new project right now with my colleague Alex Fornes, and we are compiling lots and lots of data from lots of different interest groups, lots of different um, roll call votes, etc. And it looks like there might be a small effect of contributions on roll call voting, um, and that that might be it. Might be small enough that previous studies just didn't have the data and the power to detect it. But it's not large. It might be the case that you know it might be the case that by an interest group contributing to a candidate, they can affect their vote on maybe one in fifty bills or one in a hundred bills or something like that. So this is a rare, a rare instance, but it might, it might be genuine. And so but that's, that's still a preliminary project, so I don't want to you know, write those results in stone yet. But, um, but we're working on that, and we're interested in, to, see, to see where that goes. And we're interested in conducting more analyses and collecting more data and so forth.
1: This is all just so fascinating, Professor Fowler. And I just as we look forward, is there, is there something that needs to happen to help political scientists to be able to study all of this better?
2: I'm not sure, that's a good question. I mean, we're always looking for, you know, clever opportunities to, to get some leverage on these difficult questions. So more data is always helpful, um, More, you know, Changes in changes in regulations are always useful um, that might not be a good those changes might not be a good thing for you know The public so I don't I'm not, we're not explicitly advocating for specific policy changes But anytime states do change their change the way they regulate campaign finance that gives us an opportunity to, to Try to learn about the effects of those of those policies um, So I'm not I'm not sure I mean, I think we're gonna we're gonna continue doing the best we can and we're gonna try to Inform public debates as best as we can although, you know, we're not explicitly advocating for specific policies.
1: Well, Professor Anthony Fowler from the University of Chicago, thank you so much for joining us today on the Facts About PAX podcast. Thanks so much. It was great to talk to both of you. Really appreciate it.
2: And can I, if I can, can I briefly plug? Um, I have my own podcast that I, I I co-host with a couple colleagues at the University of Chicago. It's called Not Another Politics Podcast, and uh, and we discuss um, we discuss political science research. We interview political scientists. We talk about current research and we try to relate it to current events. We sometimes get into some technical nitty gritty details, but we we try to make it publicly accessible and we try to talk about real research. Um, and and the reason it's not just another politics podcast is that we actually get into the evidence and we get into the. Research. We don't just kind of give you the top line results. We try to think about, you know, what the evidence is, should you believe it, why or why not. So if so, for any listeners who are interested in that kind of stuff, I hope you check us out.
1: I think there will be a lot of us that are interested, and I appreciate you letting us know. I will certainly take an opportunity to listen in. So thank you. Thanks to everyone listening and sharing the number one PAC podcast in America. The Facts About PACs podcast is dedicated to promoting the most transparent and regulated form of political giving and the amazing professionals who lead their employee-funded and business trade association PACs. We will be back after the Memorial Day holiday. Until then, stay safe, stay engaged, and keep moving forward.